Let me say thank you to our senior adult choir for leading us in worship this morning. If you're sitting there and you're saying, well, how old do you have to be to be in senior adult choir? If you've ever received a piece of mail from AARP telling you that you are qualified for their benefits, then you're old enough to be in the senior adult choir, and we would love to see you there. Thank you, uh, Rhonda, for uh, the work you've put in with our choir this uh, these past couple of months preparing. And thank you, Miss Ruth Ann Peters, for the handbells. I, I'm going to tell you, I like some handbells. Um, I really do. And... Uh, So um, thank you all. Um, our children will be leading this evening. Our uh, regular adult choir will be leading us in worship next Sunday morning. And so we it's a busy, busy place. And uh, earlier I said we went down south to play. We, at, we played at Jordan-Hare. And we had the privilege of playing at Jordan-Hare in Auburn. Because I know some of y'all were sitting there thinking, well, he just won't say we played at Auburn. I just can't think sometimes, so there you go. I didn't leave. I didn't do that on purpose. All right. This evening, when our children lead us in worship, they'll be talking about a manger. Uh, there, you see the manger scene set up here. Uh, Miss Helen looks like Mary sitting right there in the in the middle of the in the middle of the manger. So um, I won't say what these guys on the front look like. Right? <laughs> uh, all right. They're the wise men. The wise men down here. All right. Okay, but we will be talking, they'll be leading us in, in worship, and they'll be talking about a manger, and this morning, I wanted to talk about the reason that Jesus came and was born and was placed in a manger. There's some significance to that story, and I want to read this one verse here in Luke chapter 2, verse number 7, <clears throat> that says this, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, this night was a night like no other. It was a night that had been progressing for centuries. It was a night that had been coming together and it was a night of a lot of miracles. It was a miracle that there was a tax happening and that Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem to pay his taxes. Joseph had no other reason to go back to Bethlehem to pay, uh, other than to pay those taxes. And God had put those things in motion and put those wheels in motion so that Mary could be there to give birth. The trip to Bethlehem was a miracle. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 gives explicit prophecy a few hundred years earlier that the, the birth of this child had to be there in Bethlehem. The timing of the birth was a miracle. In Galatians 4, uh, Paul writes that it had become the fullness of time. There had been no, if you were uh, here uh, a couple of Wednesday evenings ago during our Bible study, we talked about how there had, not, there had been silence. There had been silence for 400 years. No prophets had spoken. No one had received a word from God. But in that silence, the Greek Empire had been firmly established and the Roman Empire had been firmly established. And they had contributed to the world and done things in the world that would make it much easier for the spread of the gospel after Jesus leaves. And then the incarnation was a miracle. God 
himself became flesh. The word became flesh. And it was a miracle. Now, <clears throat> this miracle happens in a manger. And why would Jesus Christ be laid in a manger? A manger, I, I looked at some different um, aspects of a manger over the past uh, this week. In a manger, we most of the times in our uh, Christmas plays and, and things, we see a wooden trough and filled with hay. But most of the time, those mangers were actually stone masonry. They'd been cut out, and they were permanent fixtures in a stable. And it was where uh, feed was taken every day. And the, um, the, the shepherd or the farmer or whoever was there, they would, they would put that feed down, and the animals would come, and they would eat from there. Now let me ask the, you, you moms here. How many of you moms would take your newborn infant and lay that baby where the animals had been eating. Leanne's looking at me like, you better hush now. <laughs> Not many of our mothers would, would even think about doing that. But Mary had no choice. It was the only place that she could find to lay this newborn baby. A manger. Not a mansion, but a lowly manger. And there's some reasons for this that I want us to talk about for a few minutes here this morning. Because this manger pictures the rejection of Jesus. This manger perfectly pictures his rejection. The scriptures tell us here in verse number 7 there at the end, it says there was no room for him in the end. No room whatsoever for Jesus to be born there in the end. Now think about it. Joseph does not have the advantage of Expedia.com. He couldn't have uh, sat down at, there at home and made reservations in the inn. He couldn't pull up. Uh, the, he couldn't say to Mary, "Hey, I'm gonna pull up inns in Bethlehem and see which one has the best rate and which one can get, you know, uh, which one has a, all the amenities that they have." Joseph didn't have that luxury. Joseph had to put Mary on a donkey, and they had to basically walk at a pace for a long distance to get there. Now, Joseph gets there to the inn, and he inquires. And there's absolutely nothing left for them except a, a stable or a place that had probably been dug out in the side of a cave. And that was where the innkeeper, that was all that he had for them. Now, there was no room for him there in the inn, but there was a room for a lot of other things there in that inn. There was room for business in the inn. There were probably a lot of people who were traveling through Bethlehem people who were tradesmen, people who were craftsmen, and this was an inn that they probably normally stopped in, and they were there getting ready for their business. Maybe they were there also to pay taxes, and maybe they were there in the inn, and they were doing business, and they were taking care of their, their things, and it was just another normal business day for them. There was room for pleasure there in the inn. There were people who may have been there. They may have been celebrating a, a, a wedding, or they may have been there for some special event there in Bethlehem where they had come to. And there were probably celebrations, and there were probably all these things going on. Uh, and, and, and poor Mary and Joseph, as they're standing outside, as Mary's outside knowing that she is close to giving birth, and she's probably hearing the people inside. She's probably seeing men outside doing business transactions, and she's probably hearing people who are celebrating and who are 
are, are doing all the things and, and having such a good time in life. And there's Mary out in the cold expecting her child and no room for her there. No one who raises their hand and volunteers and says, hey, I'll give up my space for this pregnant lady and, 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 her, and her husband and I'll give them comfort. There was no, no, nothing like that. It was a complete rejection there in the end. Um, there was room for others there, but not for Jesus. How about this world that we live in today? Do we reject Him in the same way? Think about our busy lives. Think about our busy weeks that we go through. Think about how we rush to get this child to here and this child to there or this grandchild here and or think about the, the business that we have to attend to and the things that we have to do. And think about all the, all the hours that we put in and all the labor that we put into the things of this life and the, and the cares of this world. And how many times in all of that busyness and how many days in all of those things that we do repeatedly, week after week, how many of those hours say to Jesus, I'll get to you when I can. I, I, I missed my time this morning. I missed my prayer time this morning. I missed my, my scripture reading this morning. I'll get back to you, Lord. I, I'll, I'll fit you in at some other point here in the day. Now, how many times do we actually get back to that? Probably not many. And so we see that even in our lives, in our busy weeks, how about our busy Sundays? How many people woke up across Piedmont or across North Alabama this morning and they heard the sound of rain on the roof, and they turned on the TV, and someone told them it was 39 degrees outside, and they, they heard the rain, and they said, you know, today's just not the day for me to get out and go and, and, and sit in, and, and, and go through the rain to go to church. Um, and, and I'll just, we'll go next week. Well, next week it may be snowing. Or next week the weather may be perfect, and there's something that they can fit in and do. And probably these same people are, are people who sat in a deer stand so already this year in the pouring down rain and the freezing cold or went out on Black Friday in the pouring rain and the freezing cold or sat at a ball game in the pouring rain and the freezing cold. But this morning it was convenient, more convenient to stay at home and to sleep. Amen? Amen. Um, that's, that's the world that we live in. And there's an amazing rejection message about Jesus that one of the other gospel writers gives us. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, John pictures in, in his, the beginning of his gospel as he begins to talk about Jesus and, and the coming of the Messiah. He says these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son John says here as he introduces the personal Jesus that he knew he says this word that came was God in the flesh this word that came and dwelt among us this this baby who is in this manger he is God he is the creator in verse number three John says he created everything and everything was made by him the world was made by him in verse number 10 and yet in verse number 10 it also points out that the world did not know him he came to the very world which he created and that very world didn't know him and they wouldn't receive him his own people that he came to redeem and to save, they wouldn't receive him. But John says in verse number 14, he finishes by saying that this Christ is the word and that he became flesh. We call it this time of year, we call it the incarnation. God, Jesus being God, being fully God, but yet being fully man. It's called the incarnation. And it's very important to us in our belief system that we, that we fully understand that, that Jesus came to this earth as fully as God in all of his deity, but yet took on the flesh of man. Why is it important that we understand that? It's so important because we have to realize that God came here to understand and empathize with every situation that you and I will go through in this life. Jesus came and he came in the form of a man so that he could understand the temptation of every sin that you and I would be tempted with here in this world. Jesus came and took on the form of a man so that he could understand every sorrow, every heartache, every, every hurt, every pain that you and I would suffer. Because to be our Messiah, to be our Savior, for us to go to him and for us to pray and to seek him, he, we need to know that as we go to him, that he knows and understands and feels every single thing that we do. And yet the world still rejects him today. If you say to the world that Jesus was a great prophet, they have no problem with that. If you say to the world that Jesus was a great teacher, if you say to the world that Jesus was a great man and he was sent by God, the world has no problem with that. But what the world has a problem with is what I say here this morning, that Jesus Christ was God himself and that he came to this earth and that he was the, he, as he said, he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and the only way that we can know the Father is through Jesus Christ. And the world rejects that message, and the world rejects you if you preach and teach that message. But I still receive him this morning completely as God in the flesh and the only substitute for my sins. So the manger is a perfect picture of the rejection there that night as he was rejected in the inn and forced to be born and placed in a manger. It's still a perfect picture of the rejection that he faces today. And the manger perfectly pictures the redemption of Jesus Christ. There were two signs that, were, that the angels gave to the shepherds. Now, why go to shepherds? 
Why go to these shepherds who are outside of the city, who are, who are way out here in a field tending to the flock? Why go to these shepherds and tell them about this baby who's been born? Who understands the filth of a stable better than a shepherd? No one would understand the filth of a, she- of, of, of a stable better than a shepherd. A shepherd would know the smells of a stable. A shepherd would know the, the, uh, the aura of a, of a stable, the, the stigma of a stable. And it would be to them that a baby being born in a stable might be a strange thing, but what if the angels had gone to the wealthiest people there in Bethlehem and said to them, Hey, there's the, the, the Savior of the world has been born. He's come, and we want to let you know about it. And he's over at the stable, over close to the inn. How many of the wealthy people would have left their homes and their trappings and their, and their joy and their food and all the things that they had to go and to see a family uh, uh, in complete poverty and, and go and see them sitting in a, in a stable with a baby? Probably not many of them at all. But the angel, God in his infinite wisdom goes to the people who would most understand and who would most relate to these situations. And the angels tell him there's two things to look for. This baby will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and he'll be lying in a manger. Now the angels have just declared to them that this baby is the savior of the world. This baby has come to redeem mankind of his sins. This baby is the very Lamb of God, but yet this baby is lying where the lambs eat every day. Think about that. This baby that John the Baptist would later on some 30 years declare as Jesus comes to him to be baptized, John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But yet the angels are telling these shepherds that this Lamb of God is now laying in a trough in a manger where the lambs actually come to eat. Now this is my own mind and my own imagination and running wild with me as I was reading these words. But what if the lambs who came to eat there from that trough were some of the very lambs that later on would be taken to Jerusalem for the Passover? What if, what if one of the, some of the lambs there were actually being fed and being fed out to someday go and be a sacrifice at the temple for the sins of the families that own the stable there. And now Jesus is there lying in that trough and he is the one who someday uh, will become the one-time sacrifice. No more lambs will have to be slain. No more offerings will have to be given that way. Jesus will become that offering. He will be that propitiation for our sins. And never again will anyone have to feed a lamb out to take that lamb to be sacrificed. Maybe you don't get that, but I do, and it's a wonderful thing. Listen, here where this manger is, this manger that Jesus is born in is not far from the place where he will go to a cross. It's about a six-mile difference from where Jesus will one day go and give his life on a cross for our sins. It's about a one and a half hour walk. Nowadays it would be about a half hour drive to go from where Jesus was born to the place where he would bleed and die. And the important thing for us this Christmas season is we cannot forget the cross at this time of year. 
The Apostle Paul gives descriptions of the birth of Jesus and he ties each one of those descriptions to the cross that he would go to. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5, Paul says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Paul says that Jesus came to a people who were born under the heavy burden of the law. And Jesus came and became and took all of that upon him and went to a cross and took that heavy burden away from us and took that, 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 that old covenant that was written in stone and now that new covenant that Jesus became is now written in our hearts. It's not written in stone, but it's written in our hearts that says that we are his. Paul says in Philippians 2, 5 through 7, that Jesus humbled himself, that he came to this earth and was born and, and didn't count it anything to be equal with God, but he emptied himself and humbled himself to go and to die on a cross. You see, Jesus had to be obedient to come and to be born into a manger. It took obedience to the Father's will to come and be born in a manger, to leave heaven's throne, to leave the glory and splendor of the, splendor of the worship that he was receiving daily, to come and to be born in a stable and be placed in a manger. But it took even greater obedience to follow through and to live a sinless life and to go to a cross at Calvary. And we don't need to leave, lose sight of that during this Christmas season. But the manger, most of all, perfectly pictures how reachable Jesus is. The first announcement was to humble shepherds. The most humble people of all. Not to the celebrity, not to the kings, not to those in a palace, but to the humble shepherd, the outcast. That's who the announcement was made for. And it was made in this way to say to us today that this gospel of Jesus Christ is attainable for anyone no matter what their life is like now. No matter what their social status is, no matter what their economic status is, no matter where they live, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've been through, no matter who they are, the gospel of Jesus is accessible to them as it was to these shepherds, and we must be careful to not restrict the, the gospel and to, and to try to keep it to those who we look at and say, these people are like me, I relate to them, but we need to get on any level, whether it be a level that we think is, is, is beneath us or a level that we think is much higher than us, no matter what it is. I've shared the gospel with people who were on the street who had absolutely no possession in this world. I've shared the gospel with people under overpasses, under bridge overpasses in the city of New Orleans, people who were addicted and people who had no hope, had nothing in this world except the, clothes, the tattered, stink, stinking clothes on their back. And it was accessible to them. And I've shared the gospel with people whose intellect was much greater than mine, whose wealth was much greater than mine, whose, whose position in life was much greater than mine. And let me tell you, the gospel is as much for that person underneath that overpass who stinks and smells 
as it is for the most educated, learned person who lives in the finest things that God has, that life has to offer. It's the same for each. And, and, and God made sure in his wisdom as he brought this thing, this, this birth to come about, that he chose a manger instead of a mansion. And Jesus said these words in John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus would say this. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He says, all, no matter who they are, no matter where they are in life, no matter what their situation, whoever encompasses everyone, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I read a beautiful article this week written by a man named Matt Tulis. He's a pastor um, and a writer. And he wrote this, and I want you to listen to it as we close. He wrote this view from the manger, and he wrote it from the perspective, if the child who was there, if the Christ who was there could speak to us from the manger, he might say this, look closer into the manger. I so long for you to look into my eyes. There was a time you saw me as someone who tolerated you and all the messiness of your life, not knowing for a second the depth of the love I offer. I came to you first as a baby so that you would know that my vulnerability is complete. I am willing to be born in the world mankind has ruined so that you will know that I am utterly and completely present for you today. I came to you because life is filled with both risk and opportunity and you, yes, singular you, were worth the risk. I came to you because love is never forced. It can never be. On that night in Bethlehem, I had nothing to offer you except the promise that things would change if you loved me. I came to you because nothing else would work. There's no way for you to truly see the kind of love I offered without stepping out of heaven's splendor into the broken world east of Eden's hope. I came to you so that you could see how I respond to broken people, to those whose lives are ruined in the morass of self-defeat. I came to you because somewhere down the road, life had gotten so far from love that no one ever knew what love looked like. People viewed achievement, riches, sex, food, and notoriety as somehow worthy of their brief time here, when an eternal bliss stood gallantly before them, offering a life they could never even imagine. I came here to teach you how to love one another, but greater still, I came to teach you that love is possible. Find this love, and the world will be transformed like the opening of a rose. Lose it, and life becomes obtuse and perplexing. Do you see what my coming means? It means that hope is not some mere fairy tale. It means that I am not some dispassionate deity with an axe to grind when you fail at life in solitude. It means I'm here for you today, right now. It means I really don't care how bad your story is or how badly you've messed things up. It means when you choose me, you get it all. Hope, peace, eternity, connection, time, intimacy, laughter, joy and belonging don't you want that don't you need that 
It means that everything that happened from Bethlehem to Calvary is a message of the very nature of who I am and how I relate to you. This child crying in the night. I am this helpless child in swaddling clothes, joyfully casting off the garments of heaven to come to you. Once you see me as that kind of Savior, nothing else will be worth your efforts because I am everything you ever dreamed I could be. What a beautiful portrait of a Savior who condescended from heaven, came to this life and took on flesh that you and I wear this morning. Lived the life that you and I live so that he would know and understand every heartache, every suffering, every joy, every, every trial, every tribulation, everything that you have ever felt, Jesus Christ knows and understands. And more than that, was tempted in every sin that you've ever been tempted in, and yet lived a perfect, sinless life, and was able to go to a cross at Calvary and be your substitute Give his life, line a tomb for three days, and then be gloriously resurrected. And today awaits you not as a meek and mild child in a manger, but as the creator of the universe, as the sovereign ruler of the universe, and as the only way to eternal life. He did that for you. We went through this verse a couple of weeks ago, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him doesn't have to perish but can have eternal life. Go back there in that moment, For God so loved me. Put your name right there and understand that this celebration that we're going through these songs that we sing, this joy that we share, there was a moment in time where I said, God loves Michael. And he gave his son Jesus for Michael. So that Michael doesn't have to perish and, and spend eternity apart from God, but can spend eternity in the presence of God through what Jesus did for me here on this earth. Darren, would you come? Father, I pray this morning, and I ask you to take our words and our thoughts and everything that we have spoken here this morning through your word, power of your word. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would now work in the hearts that need to know Christ. Father, if there, are there, if there are those here this morning who need to come and who need to say, I'm that person in John 3.16, I need to know Christ as my Savior. Father, let them do so today. Let them understand that they have eternal life. Father, for those who've made any kind of decision, such as Lucy this morning, who followed you in obedience in believer's baptism, Father, I pray that if there are those here who need to do that or need to follow through in church membership, or maybe they just want to come, people must want to come here and pray and give thanks and praise for this message of the hope of Jesus Christ.
whatever it is, Lord, during this time, may, be, may we be wise in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.